My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Glad you guys are with us this morning. We're in the Gospel of Mark, and we are getting dangerously close to finishing chapter 15. And uh, I am excited about that. So let's start like we do each week. Uh, we will read through uh, the chapter that we are studying. And uh, you should have a handout at the table at the beginning. And for those of you online that uh, need one, you can go to OurSundaySchool.com and grab one there. So we'll read through the entirety of Mark chapter 15. Uh, and today we'll pick up with verse 39. And we're going we're gonna to get to... <laughs> Boy, that was awful. I almost said we're going to get to look behind the curtain today. That was horrible. Horrible. That was last week. We're going to look behind the larger story of Mark and see some characters that haven't had a lot of emphasis put on them yet uh, that I would actually argue are uh, critical to the practical completion of Jesus' earthly ministry. Um, so we'll, we'll get to look at that uh, this morning. So Mark chapter 15, here we go. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, you have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in their insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus... He delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And let, they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews... And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. 
And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and of Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Mark chapter 15. So last week we finished up uh, talking about the, the tearing of the veil. Right? We talked about the outer veil, the inner veil, and this separation between the Holy of Holies and this other area where the priests could come and go and minister to the Lord. And we're going to transition back to, Mark does this often in his gospel, obviously. We, we see he'll jump scenes, and he'll jump scenes, and we'll jump scenes, and we'll jump scenes. We talked about this last week. I would hate to make a movie out of Mark's gospel because there's just too many scenes, and you've got too many transitions, right? Verse 39, and when the centurion, so, so let's talk about centurions for just a second. So what's the word mean? What's a, what's a centurion? It, it looks like what it is. A hundred, right. So you're captain over a hundred men. Now, uh, so who, who has served? Anybody military service? Military service. Thank you for your service, gentlemen. Appreciate that. Um, and, and what rank did you attain to in the military? Corporal. corporal. Fantastic. And how many men do you lead when you're a corporal, approximately? Twelve. Twelve. Excellent. Seems like a very biblical rank. That's awesome. Um, Mitch, what about you? Chief Petty Officer. Now, I have been told stories about Chief Petty Officers that they are feared. We're nice people. Yeah, that, <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push back on that just a wee bit. Yeah, no, I'm, not pushing, I'm not pushing hard. I'm just, just a wee, from a distance, right? This is the way this works. Uh, and how many, how many soldiers would you oversee as Chief Petty Officer? About 35. Excellent. It just, it just depends on your 
where you are, what's going on, those types of things, right? So at, at what level would you get to kind of breach the, you're in charge of 100 people? Officer ranks, excellent. I was going to say, you could probably say nearly anything, and I would go, oh, okay, great, fantastic. I don't, this is not my space. You know, I'm, uh, you do my taxes. You do a great job of it. Thank you for that. I am glad to pay my taxes. Um, no, 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 yeah, you, you do my pay. Yeah, you don't want to pay my taxes. No, 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 you don't. That's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Let's clarify, right? Yes. It's MitchJohnson.com is what you're looking for there? No. Um, now, but, when, but before the military is going to give you control or command, command is a better word, of a hundred soldiers, uh, how much time is going to pass in the military today? We're talking this is a few weeks at least, right? I mean, this is... Two or three years? Okay, excellent. Um, it was not that way in the first century with Rome. Uh, before you were going to be appointed to be a centurion, you had to go on tours of duty and, and survive, right? Because Rome, was, Rome wasn't always in expansion mode, but they were uh, very, very often in expansion mode. It's go and take over some area, and you go and you replace the leaders, you uh, put in this... Uh, military presence that can keep the peace long enough for the culture to shift and this place to become Roman, and then you lighten up a little bit, and then you send a governor in to oversee, collect taxes, send it back to the motherland. Everybody's happy. Nobody's really happy. No, nobody really enjoyed this at all. But centurions would be people who had gone out and served and traveled and seen and engaged in the larger world as they knew it at that time, survived, come back, and then risen up through the ranks because they could keep Roman soldiers in line. Like, this is the key. So this is not somebody who is just good with words. This is somebody who is not afraid to bust somebody upside the head, should they need it, to keep really rough, ragged men in line. Okay, so this is kind of the mindset that I want you thinking in here. So we've got to the centurion. So when the centurion who stood facing him, so why would he be facing Jesus? He's, that's his post, right? My, like my job is to make sure you don't leave this place, which is, a, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, this is not an overly difficult job because if, you've, if you have crucified him properly, he is not coming down unless he gets significant assistance from multiple people, right? This is not a one-person job. You sneak in, you steal the body. No, 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 no. it's not the way this works. So when the centurion facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last. So this is, the, this is the thing that triggered the centurion's statement. And a lot of people will go into a lot of different directions about what the centurion saw and believed and thought and wondered. Mark tells us explicitly the way Jesus breathed his last. So what was the way that Jesus breathed his last? Aren't you glad, Thesa, that this is open book, right? We can just go look at the verse before. So let's look at the verse before. It says, Behold, he is calling Elijah. Verse 37, And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. So I'll ask you for what seems to be the 18th time in this series. What is the way in which you die on the cross? Suffocation. This is how you die on the cross, is you suffocate. 
your body is being pulled down, you are lifting yourself up to try to gather breath, and you, you slowly run out of energy as you are no longer able to pull yourself up. You get weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. You do not scream on the cross. This just doesn't happen. You certainly don't scream at the end of the process. Now, some of the, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, but as the New Testament canon is written, right? So Mark's the first out of the gate. He's the first one to write something down about uh, the gospel, the life of Jesus Christ. As we get further writers, to get further and further away from the crucifixion, we begin to see language like Jesus laid his life down, right? He chose when he was going to die. So just, just sit on that for a second. So I, I'm, I'm living in this life, in this body right now, hopefully, unless somebody like Sean is in the ER, I'm only going to die once. Because if, I'm in, if Sean's in the ER with me, you're going to bring me back like 14 times, and you're going to do a really good job, and like this is, this is the way it's going to work. But I am not going to pick the moment of my death. Does this make sense? I got, this is only something I get to do once. Once. I have no experience with this. I have no history with this. I have no way to know, like, are we close? Are we not close? I he breathed his last, and the centurion, who was a ragged, rugged, well-traveled, been on multiple Roman expansion tour, said, whoa, something is, something is different about this man. And he didn't just say something is different about this man. The centurion blasphemes the emperor. Because the phrase that the centurion uses was reserved for the emperor and the emperor's children. I don't know if you remember, a hundred and something lessons ago, I showed you a coin, and it was the son of God, and it was the Roman emperor. The Roman emperors were deemed to be gods themselves, and if you didn't want to go like that far, you could just say, well, he's the son of God. So when the centurion says, truly, this man was the son of God, he better hope none of the men he was commanding heard that statement because this would have been grounds for the centurion being placed on the, cruise, on the cross. Like this, was, this was treason, what he is saying at this point. Crazy, ridiculous, unbelievable statement of faith. Now, look at, I want you to look at the verb tense. I'm on, at the top of page 536, the highlighted imperfect active indicative. This man was. So imperfect is something that happened in the past repeatedly. The active means it's presently ongoing. It's being repeated right now. And the indicative is a statement of fact. So, so don't miss how good his theology actually was. Like this, is, this is really good. But it's also incomplete. Because the centurion was only looking backward with his theology. He wasn't looking forward with his theology. He didn't have a box to fit who Jesus was into. He could not envision that Jesus was, even after he had expired, even after he had died, was at that moment still the Son of God. And right now, a couple of thousand years later, 
He is still the Son of God. And when time runs out and we have no more mechanisms to count as high as we will be with the Lord, he will still be the Son of God. So it is beautiful, but yet insufficient theology that the centurion says here. Now, what was the Roman centurion's mindset? So he had been, he had traveled, he had led men, he had seen Rome conquer. But did he see a conquering savior on the cross? No. He saw a suffering man on the cross. So the entire worldview that this guy has is smacked very hard against the reality of the way Jesus breathed his last. And that triggers for him this declaration that this was the Son of God. It's, the, it's literally the opposite of what he was trained and exposed to do. I think it's absolutely amazing. One of the commentators I read said uh, he, he, he said this because of how he saw Jesus suffer and die, not because of how he saw Jesus conquer and rule. Now, the interesting thing is that the conquering and ruling part, it's still coming. Like, so don't, don't miss that. Like, we're... We're going to get, we have a Savior who does it all, Amy. Like, he's, he's all, he's going to cover, check all the boxes. It is beautiful, it's amazing, it's incredible. And we're going to get to participate in this. And if this, if this centurion repented of his sin and placed his faith in the finished work of the man he saw die on that cross, he will get to participate in this too. Wouldn't it be cool to meet him? It was like, I was as close as you get. A great testimony to the fact that Jesus actually did die. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture here. And then we have this radical scene change again. So right in the middle of my, my taking a breath after this injury, we've got to talk about verse 40. There were also women. All right. Mark does this really understated thing from time to time in his gospel. This is about as understated a thing as Mark can do in his gospel. I want you to look at the, uh, the verb parsing for the were there, verse 40. It's a plural, imperfect, active indicative. So plural means this is a group of people doing this. Imperfect, repeatedly happening in the past. Active, it's happening right now. Indicative, it's a statement of fact from the perspective of the, the speaker. So you have group, repeated, presence. In my notes, I have uh, beautiful faithfulness written under this little verb parsing. This is just, this is gorgeous. This is, this is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful faithfulness is what's happening right here. And they were not just, they were just, weren't just there. They were looking at a distance. All right, Jessica, I'm coming back to you. If they were looking at a distance, what can they serve as? Witnesses. That's exactly right. Now we've got witnesses. Because who wasn't there? His disciples, yeah. I mean, the Gospel of John tells us that John was there, which is great. Like, hey, okay, because Jesus tells John, behold your mother, taking care of his own mother at the foot of the cross. But these women are witnesses. They're witnesses to his life. 
They're witnesses to his death. And they are witnesses, when we turn the page in chapter 16, to his resurrection. He is no longer there. And, and do not let it be lost on you that at this point in time in history, a woman's testimony was not even admissible in court. And who does Jesus trust the message of the truthfulness and the accuracy of the gospel itself to? A group of faithful women who would not leave him. Whew. I just... I jumped all the way to the end. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I knew I was going to spill the beans early, but there we go. It is what it is. So there were also women looking. This is a present active participle. This is repeated behavior. This is faithfulness. They were looking from a distance. Now, why would they not be looking up close? Why would they not be very, very near to the cross itself? There's very practical reasons here. Yeah, they wouldn't, one, they wouldn't be allowed there, right? This is the place where the, the Roman soldiers themselves stood, right? What else? Very likely whatever's running through your head is correct because there's like 50 reasons for the, the why would they not be standing right there next to the cross. Fear, Fear. yes, absolutely. We don't see it in the text, but do you, do, how closely do you want to be associated with this man right now, Right? For him. Yeah. Sometimes when you're emotional, it's best just to stay back. Yep. Right up to it, from the sixth hour up to the ninth hour when he cried out, um, it's dark. Yes. So it's, it may be over near a fire where they can see things or have some sort of light or whatever. Absolutely. I, w I would agree had the text not said when he saw in this way he breathed his last. Um, it, it feels to me like that uh, in this way he breathed his last is like the, the straw that broke the camel's back almost. Like you got all these other things that like, this, this has never happened before. I've never seen this occur before in crucifixion, right? This craziness. So these women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene. <gasps> Have you seen the Da Vinci Code? No. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. If you've seen the Da Vinci Code, please, for the love of all that is holy, do not base any of your theological positions on the garbage that is taught in that movie. I, I, it is one of my favorite movies. It's a fantastic, it's a fun movie to watch. It's interesting. It's all the connections. He solves the puzzles, and he's like, ooh. You know, anybody that can work the Fibonacci series into a movie, I'm a fan. Okay? Like, there we go. Let's just be really blunt. Uh, but Mary Magdalene, uh, so let's, let's talk about Mary Magdalene for just a second. Uh, first thing, Magdalene's not her last name. This is the town she was from. So if you have a Bible with a, a map in the back, uh, you'll notice that uh, Magdala was actually a, uh, a, a little village on the, on the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And when you put little villages right next to bodies of water, uh, there is one predominant industry that rises up very, very quickly. So what would the predominant industry be? Fishing, right. This is a fishing village, which is going to matter here in just a minute. Because the very words that Mark is about to use to describe these women that followed is the exact same words that Mark uses 
of the disciples that Jesus called from the shores of these fishing villages. There's no difference. So she is from a fishing village, Magdala, and she's listed where in the list of women? First. Did order matter when you listed names in the Bible? Oh yes, order matters when you list names in the Bible. And who do we think was telling Mark what was going on? Because Mark wasn't necessarily a first-hand witness. Simon Peter, right? So Simon Peter, who would have traveled with Jesus for three, three and a half years or so, moving around all of Israel, learning, he would have had intimate knowledge of who was with Jesus and following him throughout his entire ministry. He would have known Mary Magdalene. And she gets listed first, which I say is fantastic. Love it. So not just Mary Magdalene. Now we're going to move into the, uh, who, who might be perhaps the most guessed about and curious character in all of Mark's gospel. This one is, and I'm not going to go into all the details because this is like nailing jello to a wall, guys. Um, Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph. So as we have seen before, when we have people that are referenced that we are like, I, what, like why would her kids matter? Because there's like 900 Marys in the Gospels, okay? There, there's just, there's an awful lot of them. And if you, if you look at this with a certain angle and this with a certain angle, then she's this person. And if you look at this with a certain angle and this with a certain person, then she's this. I do not know. It cannot be, from what I can tell, definitively proven exactly who she is and who she was married to and who Oliver, it's like just, she was there. The Lord knows, <laughs> right? And I would say that is going to be the important part here. And then Salome. And you might be thinking, Salome, wait, that's a character in the New Testament. Do you remember? Who, who is Salome? Anybody remember? She's the dancer, right? This is not that person. <laughs> we, we, we feel shockingly comfortable that this is not that person, right? So this is not going back to Mark chapter 6 with Herodias and the daughter. And, and like, no, 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 no. This, this is not that person. Um, so then in verse 41, so we kind of get to see where did these folks show up? who when he was in Galilee, you're like, oh, Galilee, I remember that. That was a long time ago, yes. If you look at like all of Mark's gospel, chapters one through six-ish are the Galilean section. And then he starts kind of bursting the edges of Galilee and working around in other areas for six and a half, seven, eight, eight and a half-ish or so. And then, in, and then in eight slash nine, he turns his face and we head toward Jerusalem, right? And then we begin the march toward Jerusalem. 11, he gets into Jerusalem. And it's basically the last week of his life is from 11 to 15. So we have this super compressed timeline in Mark 1 through 6, where we think he probably spent like two years or so, two and a half maybe even. And then another half year to a year outside Galilee, and then a week at the very end. So when he was in Galilee, they followed him. This word for followed is the word that I was talking about earlier. So was this again single women or would it be she's been women whose husbands were also 
Oh, what a wonderful question. We're going to get there in just a second. I've got some Bible references for you. Okay, cool. Let's start with, uh, uh, when I get there, let's start with John. Okay, remind me to start, because I don't have John listed first, but we'll start with John's reference. Cool. So they followed him. This word for followed is the exact same word in Mark 1.18. It's the exact same word in Mark 2.14. It's the exact same word in Mark 6.1. These are places where we explicitly are calling out the disciples. Follow me. They left their nets. They followed him. Mark is not doing this on accident. He's using this word to draw a connection between the reality of male disciples that followed Jesus when he was on the earth and the reality of female disciples who followed Jesus when he was on the earth who were not equally faithful. They were more faithful because they were there at the end in larger numbers than the men were, which in any group of New Testament believers, uh, there are generally more women in the room than there are men. So, thank you. <laughs> uh, so when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. Now, you can find a lot about your translation's theology by how they translate this word, because the word minister here is diakoneo. It's the word for deacon. They deaconed him. What? 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 Oh, my goodness. It's a scandal. It's not a scandal. It's a great word. It means to serve. It means to get busy and to work and to do and to minister. Like, we get the opportunity to do something after church this morning, to go and to get busy and to do something. We're going to put candy in eggs, which is the, it's like the weirdest way to worship Jesus in the history of the universe right there, right? It's crazy. It's ridiculous. But this is, this is what we're going to get to do. And these women ministered, another plural imperfect. These plural imperfects are just beautiful displays of faithfulness. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. They followed him and ministered to him. And there were also, what's the next two words? Many other. So this is, this is just the sampling, right? This is the sample platter of all these women who were with and came and supported and did and served. Many other women who came up with him to what? Jerusalem. Do you remember Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem? What was going on? What was, what was being said? Hosanna. 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 Have you ever wondered who was saying that? There it is. The women who knew who he was. The women who recognized him for the reality of the truth that he is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah. It would have been beautiful, absolutely beautiful to hear the faithfulness of these women. So let's not miss again that these women could testify to his death, his burial, and then in a few weeks we'll get to, Lord willing, his resurrection. But a couple of other gospel passages that I want you to jot down. Um, so we'll start with John 19.25. So John 19, 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother. And we, we don't think that the second Mary listed in Mark was Mary, Jesus' mom. 
Because it seems like you'd have said Jesus' mom and not the mother of two guys. That may have been Jesus' brothers. Remember, Jesus was not an only child. I hope that didn't shock anybody, but he wasn't an only child. Um, But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas. Like, ah, okay, all right. Now, do we know if Clopas was alive at this point? No clue. But at one point, yeah, there's not a verb there, so we wouldn't be able to see whether that was present or past. So if his mother is Mary, his mother's sister is Mary. <laughs> so it's most likely sister-in-law. Maybe. I'm going to answer every question about Mary with maybe. Every single one you could throw at me. The only, the only, uh, so, so Mark didn't refer to um, the followers as, of Jesus as brothers and sisters, but Jesus did. In Mark 3, 34 and 35, remember back when, uh, hey, we've got so-and-so here and so-and-so here. Yeah, and these who follow me are my brothers and sisters. And like the world would have just shattered at that point. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't count the women Right? And Jesus counted the women. He included them as disciples of his because women are disciples of Jesus. Right? This is not shockingly common to get, but it was uncommon to hear at that point. So John 19.25 would be one reference. Uh, Matthew 27.55 and 56. Three Marys are listed there. <laughs> you just put them all in a blender. and I mean, it's just... It's shockingly complicated. It's just shockingly complicated. Uh, Luke 8, 1 through 3. I'm going to read some verses here real quick. Yes, Matthew 27, 55, and 56. And then Luke 8, 1 through 3. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmaries. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. So, pause, go rewind the tape, go back to the Da Vinci Code. When dude says that was a rumor that was not true about Mary being, having demons, it was true. It's right there in black and white. You cannot trust what you see in movies. All right, back to the tape. And Joanna, the wife of Chuzah, I'm going to guess on this one, Herod's household manager. The scandal of this one would have been unbelievable. Right? Like, what in the world? I mean, this reminds me of the shout-outs that Paul does at the end of Romans. Like, so-and-so who serves in the emperor's whatever. you're like, what? Yes, Christianity had spread all over into the dark cracks and corners of the Roman Empire. It was beautiful. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So how did the disciples eat? How did Jesus eat? Provided for them out of their means. How did they pay for things when they went places? Provided for them out of their means. How did they pay his taxes? 
we got a coin out of a fish. But had to do pretty much anything else? The women paid for it, right? It's like, but he did pay his taxes, so don't miss that, right? Like, don't be going some crazy side trip. And then Luke 23, 59. Um, I do think it's interesting that all of the gospel writers, there's not a Luke 23, 59. 49, 49 thank you very much. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. All four gospel writers mention the faithfulness of the women at the cross. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. So let's take a look at some uh, applications and personalizations. I told Julie, I was writing these out last night. I told Julie, I was like, I think I could do like 400. Uh, But I revised and revised and revised and revised and... (laughs) So six sets of eyes go, woo, okay. Um, we got down to five, so we'll just do five. Uh, so application number one, and this is a carryover from last week's text and this week's text. Number one, Jesus Christ is the epitome of faithfulness. On the cross itself, crying out, crying out, my God, my God, declaring his faith in his Father. This is beautiful. So what do we do with that? We'll stand in awe of our Lord Jesus Christ because he is worthy of standing in awe of. Application number two, uh, Jesus' sacrifice of himself was recognized by his father. The darkness, tearing of the veil, the turning away. It also satisfied his father's wrath, which is so good news. Oh, that's good news. So what do we do with that? Rejoice in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because his sacrifice was enough. It was the only thing, the one and only thing that was sufficient to cover our sin. Application number three, Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled messianic prophecy. Would you agree, brother? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Have you cracked open any of those yet? Yes. Good, 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 good. Excellent. Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled messianic prophecy. So what do we do with that? Repent and believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have not done so... Please, please, please. Application number four. Jesus' female disciples were and are critical to Christianity. Jesus' female disciples were and are critical to Christianity. This is as Baptist as I'm going to get. Here you go. You ready? Personalization. Thank God for his faithful female followers. There you go. That's my one alliteration for this year. Thank God for his faithful female followers. My mom taught me how to read by teaching me John chapter 1. Miss Linda Buchanan. Walked me through the Romans Road when I was eight. Dr. Kathy Pilger taught me more about teaching by accident than any other human being on this planet. And so many of you have been incredibly faithful and encouraging and supporting and prayer warriors. And I thank you for it. 
So application number five, faithfulness isn't always obvious or recognized by man. So what do we do with that? We be faithful and remember that God sees, knows, and approves. They may only get shout outs at the end of each one of the gospels, but I promise you there is reward after reward after reward that they are enjoying in the presence of the one they saw be crucified right now. And following Jesus is always worth it. It is always, always worth it. All right, I went way over today. My apology, no, I'm not apologizing for that. This was too good to skip over. We had some good stuff in here today. Um, so I'll do, we'll do two uh, of the questions real quick. So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? So what is God doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? He's wearing me out, I will promise you that. So. Oh, I almost forgot. You ready for the big reveal? Next series. Coming to you, Lord willing, this summer. <laughs> it should take us about six months, so we'll see. <laughs> Philippians. Oh, this is, the, this is one, of the, one of the commentaries I got. Yeah, so. Yes, ma'am. All right, so what is God doing, you in, doing in you through his word from the portion of Mark we've studied so far? I'm still learning. Amen to that, right? We're in chapter 15, and we're still learning new things to glory in about Jesus Christ. Like, this is just... Ugh. I struggle sometimes when I hear people say, yeah, when we get to heaven, we'll know everything, and it's like, I think it's probably going to take all of time to explore the glories of Jesus. <laughs> uh, such a wonderful Savior. Oh, such a wonderful Savior. What else? Ms. Thesa, you're about ready to burst. No? Okay. She's, you're cold. Okay, there we go. All right. They're almost indistinguishable for some of you. So. All right, well, let's take a couple of minutes, and let's uh, pray as a table. So you should have a weekly update at your table if you would. Uh, make sure that you document that you were here. Attendance is at the bottom. If you have any prayer requests, we would love to pray for you. Uh, we have a section for this week and a section for ongoing. And then uh, as a reminder... Uh, Easter at Coolidge is two weeks from today. If you want to hang out and help us stuff, our sh we, we usually get about 40,000, 45,000 here at the Hickson campus. Uh, eggs, uh, takes about an hour. Just crazy. <laughs> Many hands make light work. But uh, if you would, pray over a section of the prayer requests, and then once you are finished, you may go. And worship this one who is worthy of worship, this one who sees, who knows, who approves, this one who is faithful. I don't have the adjectives. Right? I just don't have enough adjectives. Uh, such a wonderful Savior. All right. Thanks for coming today, guys. Appreciate you. Thanks for engaging. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.